Hey, welcome to the Street Shots Photography Podcast with the Switch to Manual guys. I'm Antonio, and it's me again, but I'm not alone. Um, oh, wait, sorry. It's, this is episode, what am I in? Episode 67. 67. We got 67 episodes in our belt, but I'm not alone this time. Uh, I am today with uh, a friend of mine or someone I work with who's becoming a friend. Uh, we work together, and uh, I wanted to have him on the show to talk about some things. So let me introduce, get right to the point. Um, Reed Means. Hello, Reed. Hello. How are you doing? Thanks for coming on the show, Reed. Absolutely. And uh, Reed and I know each other. We work together at a place where we review videos. So uh, today was uh, today's Friday, the 16th, and I know I'm a little behind on the schedule to create two shows a month, but I'm, we're, I'm really close. This is the kind of the middle of the month, roughly. And uh, we were talking online about um, some things. And I said, hey, Reed, would you want to be on your show? And he's like, yeah. you know. So thanks for coming on, Reed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, in the last episode, I was talking about I wanted to start uh, bringing to the audience um, some stuff about movies, about films. And uh, Reed, you're a film guy, right? I am a film guy. And uh, I wanted to start talking about you know, things about uh, composition and color. Um, and who better to actually start talking about this, someone who's involved in film. So, Reed, first, why don't you give us a little bit of background, who you, who you are, where you're from, what you do. Well, uh, I've had a pretty big background in the film world, actually. Uh, I was born and raised in Southern California in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And uh, while I was out there, I was a child actor. Oh, really? Uh, yes, and uh, I was in three movies and 15 commercials, uh, two of which were feature films, and uh, one of which was a uh, NBC kind of like five-part series. So what what films? Uh, one was called Bushwhacked from 1995 with mm-hmm. Daniel Stern. Uh, the other one was called The Waiting Room, which was a uh, something from Spoon Films. I think that went on to some uh, film festivals and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And the uh, NBC little five-part thing was called Terror in the Shadows. Ooh. Uh, yeah. S- scary 90s sitcom, <laughs> if it you was can a, imagine. It was a scary sitcom. <laughs> yeah, it was supposed to be supposed to be scary. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's not by today's standards. It wouldn't be scary. But back then, I think it was a little uh, uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was all fun. But while I was an actor, the only thing I wanted to do when I was on set was look through the camera. Uh-huh. Like, I would just beg my parents to let me look through the camera. And they're like, well, we can't tell you to do that <laughs> you know we can't <laughs> let you do that and uh occasionally you know some cool camera guy would let me hold me up and let me look through it or something you know but did but, you uh, when you were a kid was it was it kind of hard to see through the viewfinder like to uh, line your eye up a little bit yeah i mean i didn't really know how a viewfinder worked you yeah, know yeah, and these yeah. were film cameras too yeah yeah, you know? yeah these weren't yeah. digital cameras at all so there wasn't really you know unless they had a video assist or something it was me looking actually through you know the thing but uh it was a lot of fun and I, I just always wanted to do what the other people were doing, not what the actors were doing. It was I was only interested in the behind-the-scenes stuff. So yeah, uh, eventually wow. I kind of got tired of acting, and it was stressful, you know, and driving through Hollywood during uh, rush hour to get to an audition every day almost was, like, really stressful, you know, and it was stressful for my parents, too. How long were you in Los, in Los Angeles for? Uh, let's see. I was there from when I was born in 88 till 99. Wow. So, yeah, pretty much my childhood, uh, ultimately. Um, but, yeah, so doing all that, it got stressful, and I was like, you know what? I'm done with that for a while. Let's do something else. So 
uh, around that time, my parents moved to Arkansas, and um, I got into the Boy Scouts while I was in Arkansas mm-hmm. and uh, started doing stuff like that. And I remember getting my uh, – I had an opportunity to go to a film production company to get my filmmaking merit badge as part of a program. <laughs> I didn't know they had those. In... They, they have those. Really? And they have a yeah. photography merit badge too, which is awesome. And I did both of those merit badges actually, and I was just like, okay, this is it. This is exactly what I want to do. Like this is the kind of stuff I'm into. So, um, after doing all that, I was just, I was hooked pretty much. I mean, I remember begging my parents for a camera mm-hmm. and, uh, eventually getting a little, uh, high eight camera, mm-hmm. you know, like a little hand oh, high eight camera. And, uh, I, I shot so much stuff with that, just experimenting, you know, learning how to use a camera and learning some of the features and stuff like that. And, uh, anyway, skipping forward quite a bit, uh, when I was around 18 years old, I was about to go to film school at Full Sail in mm-hmm. uh, Florida. And uh, I got accepted and everything. And at the very last minute, I decided not to go. And I don't know why I decided not to go. I think I just knew that I was probably more interested in partying and being an 18-year-old than oh. going to school. <laughs> you know, So I ended up not going to school. Um, but I, what I did do is I saved up some money, went out and got a camera. Uh, which was a Canon XL2, uh, as you saw a picture of recently. Right, I saw that. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. and uh, that was my first camera that I started uh, doing, like, you know, semi-professional uh, videography with and uh, started filming weddings and stuff like that. And uh, it just kind of grew and grew and grew. And uh, throughout all that time, uh, I used to have a pair of shoes that had palm trees on them. They were like vans, you know, <laughs> slip-ons. I was going to ask and, you this story, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is the this is the story of that. My production company is called Palm Tree Shoe Productions, and that is exactly where that came from. They were like my favorite shoes. I just loved them. I wore them all the time till they literally fell apart. And uh, I just, I loved them. So that was just kind of how the name came about. And uh, I went several years without those shoes until last year I saw that they started remaking really? similar shoes to those on Vans' website. And I was like, oh, my God, I've got to order these. <laughs> oh, that's so, really cool. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I actually wear them to weddings and stuff, too. It's usually uh, it's kind of a kick because I'll be wearing a suit and look real nice, but I'll have my like really flamboyant palm tree <laughs> shoes on. And <laughs> someone always goes, oh, those shoes are awesome. <laughs> oh, know? I got to see a picture of this. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're great. They're great. They're definitely loud, and they definitely don't go with a suit. <laughs> Oh my gosh! But yeah, that's but that, that's a great—that's a great signature right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a little little gimmick. People like that kind of stuff. So you you grew up mainly doing. Um, you grew up in video. You weren't working with anything like a Super Eight camera. Or you you started off in in, in with video. Right, right. Less, and yeah. when when I was in the Boy Scouts, you know, doing the merit badge stuff, they had a bunch of different cameras that we were you know learning about and getting our when we were getting our merit badge. So. Uh, I remember messing, they had a Super 16 there, like a really cool Super 16, and uh, I loved that camera. And I've always really liked film, just in general, mm-hmm. but most of my actual learning was happening on more digital, you know, mediums, or tape mediums to mm-hmm. digital mediums, you know, but, uh, and I just never had the money to actually buy, like, a nice film camera, but it's like my dream to film on 35 millimeter. Like, oh, really? That's yeah. what, oh, that's what I, <laughs> I'm really into. I had that dream a long, long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you, the way you're describing, I mean, I didn't grow up as a child a, um, actor, but there are some crossover things. Like I spent a lot of time also looking through viewfinders of cameras. My, I've said before on the show, but you may not know, but I, my mom was in the movie business in New York City. 
And so mm. um, I ended up spending a lot of time behind the scenes as well. And uh, had I not, uh, at, you know, there's a point I could probably point to in my life where, like, had I not turned into photography, I would have gone into film. So we might have been speaking at each other as sort of compatriots in a way here. But yeah. I'm, I'm sort yeah, of coming at sure. it from a different slightly different point of view well that's great i mean it's uh yeah. and you're you're now in in uh arkansas still? yes in little rock yeah little rock yeah um oh that's cool so you know i wanted you on the show um you know we sort of rushed this a little bit but uh, it's kind of tying into what you know i sort of want to go over is this whole idea of um coloring images and coloring video or film <clears throat> sure. and uh, you know, with photography, and you do photography as well. Yes, we do all the post. You know, we do post production, right? We take pictures, right, and we either put them into Photoshop or Lightroom, and we tweak them a little bit from the way they came out of the camera, and then we spit them out and we print them. And we've done some work on the picture; they tend to not look like the way they came out of the camera for the end result. So then, it's okay that we could just call it. We can call it film to make it easier to talk about then. Yeah. 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 All right. So um, there's I'm going to explain this from what I know. You know more about this than I do. But uh, when someone is making a film, uh, you know, use film stock or they use, you know, digital video or whatever they're using. Um, also, when the uh, filming is done, the images that are coming out of the camera are not the finished product. Is that kind of a correct thing to say? Generally? Oh, yeah, that's def definitely correct. So then it goes through uh, also a sense of post-processing, uh, changing colors, doing all sorts of things. Um, could you maybe maybe go into that a little bit from what you know about that? Because that's what you do, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah actually, uh, so predominantly right now I'm working as a colorist. Oh, um, so explain that. Explain yeah, that term. So uh, color color grading is more defined by the process of altering or enhancing the color of film or video image or a still image, uh, either electronically, photochemically, or digitally. And, you know, that's a huge broad spectrum mm -hmm. uh, because that depends on whether you're using film or tape or video, you know, digital video. But uh, the term color grading usually encompasses the color correction realm, too, as well as the actual artistic grading. And there's a difference, you know, and people don't a lot of times know the difference between correction and grading, and they misuse the terms. Um but in an all-encompassing sense, I call it color grading. Mm -hmm. You know, where does that term come from? You know, um, I don't know quite where the word grading comes from. Uh, I would assume it has it would have something to do with some of the earlier uh, earlier technologies mm -hmm. of the way you did things. But you know, originally it was called color timing. Like, and when I say originally, I mean like in the dawn of <laughs> color. You know, in film, and then, and, uh, and that makes was, absolutely no sense to me at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it has a really interesting reason why it's called color timing, actually, because uh, if you've ever developed film, mm -hmm. you know that the processes are all about the time limit mm -hmm. that things oh. are bathing, you know. Uh -huh. So color timing originally was uh, it was largely used for color correction, but basically it were they were altering the mm, they were altering the time, I guess that. Uh, things were bathing in the uh, exposure process, Oh, part of the process. So, yeah, and that would be used for, you know, adjusting contrast right, or doing, right. you know, stuff like that, corrections type of stuff. 
Oh. You know, so that that was where timing comes from. So that's a, that's that's linked to the f- like when you said before photochemically um, changing the color. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, I could have looked this up, but it's nice to <laughs> it's nice to hear it from a human being who's. Oh, sure. Who's yeah, it's that. much more fun than reading it somewhere. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. That, yeah. Um, thank you for telling me that. So sure. Yeah. So timing from, is how mm-hmm. that you know came about in the film world. Okay. You know, is that, and then, is that still used today as a term? Uh, it is still used, but the technology is so different, and mm-hmm. the way things are done is so different. Most people go for the actual. Film scanning, putting it into a computer program, doing the grading, then oh, exporting right, it right. back out, you know, to film. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just wondering de- if there's... developing is still, you know, pretty much the same with film. Yeah, you know, I was just wondering the if there are still old people who are calling it color timing, and you can point them like, "Oh, you've been around for a long time." I, I'd actually be willing to bet that there are people that uh, that are like that. I know a lot yeah. of more young bucks like me in the industry don't use the term timing just because there's nothing we're doing that's timed. Right, know, right, really. right, right. All right. Okay, that's But, cool. yeah, it's like the old school editors that actually used to sit at a table with scissors and cement, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. and cut stuff. They were they were called cutters. We don't really right. Nobody cut. say cutters so much any, anymore, you know, in that regard. Yeah. Even though I am doing that, I'm doing it digitally, though. Yeah. So it's more right. like, yeah. Okay, so... um all right, so so the act of oh, so I I don't know if I'm interrupting you, but I'm gonna no, that's fine. The um the act of color grading, color timing, color correction, you're you're calling it all one thing, right? You're calling it yes. I'm just referring to it as grading. Grading. When people ask me what I do. They say I'm a colorist Colored. or I okay. you know am color grader. So my first question is, how is this any different than working on a still image in Photoshop? Just just like bare bones. It sounds Boy. like. A, <laughs> yeah, that's because that's a really detailed question. Ah, well, um, okay, is it? Yeah, it is. It is actually. Um, it's there. There are similarities, and there are things that you're doing uh, the same. But with a moving image, there are there's lots of things that go into it that you need heavy duty post production equipment for, like tracking, for instance, mm-hmm. is a big thing that I use all the time because uh, a big part of a colorist's job is to protect skin tones. Mm-hmm. Like that's the main thing that you're doing when you're at, when you're doing any side of kind of grading. You are protecting the person's skin tones the whole time you're doing it. Right, because you wouldn't so, want them to turn crazy colors. Right, or, yeah, right. Because yeah, yeah. if I just bumped the saturation up on something, every, all humans would turn orange. Right, you right. know, and the colors every, elsewhere would look great, but the the humans would be orange. So we've got to keep them isolated. So I've got to actually isolate people's skin tones a lot kind of early on in my grade and set up tracking nodes on them so while they're moving through the shot it'll actually track their skin as they're going through so it can know where that color is going in the shot so that you're you know, you're heavily heavily relying on a computer to be able to make sure that the colors are going to go in the places that you want and not go to the places you don't want yes <laughs> okay well big time yeah but other than that other than that mechanical Right, because that's just sort mm. of a mechanical thing, right? That's sure. Uh, sure. applying colors to places you want, and not because you have to deal about you have to deal with motion, right? So someone's right. moving across a frame, right, and you got to make sure that their skin doesn't stay orange from left to right. So right, but right. other than that, that's like the technical stuff. But other than that, isn't sort of like the basic kind of thing the same in some way? Like if yeah. you're applying, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm gonna grill you a little bit here. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> The basic kind of thing is like you're taking an image and you're adjusting the colors 
to some whatever, right? Mm. Yeah. Based on whatever criteria you want to use, uh, you're just doing 24 of the frames per second, right? Right. 24 still images, 30 still images per second, or whatever the what the frame rate is, That's and right. then you have to buy that. You need to use equipment to help you to augment that, right? Right. Right. Okay. So yeah, it is there. There are the similarities there, and the whole the whole real big similarity between photo editing and video editing. What you're doing is you're creating a mood. That's what I want to get. Yeah. That's that's the, that's, that's the what's key. going yeah. on. That's the key. Yeah, you know, you're we're you're an artist and you're being hired to create the mood of the film or the mood of the scene okay. or the mood of the still picture. You know, um, and that's that's the whole thing. You know, the colorist is manufacturing the look of the film. Okay. You know, the production designer makes the color palettes and makes you know the kind of cool stuff going on on screen, but it's the colorist's job to grade all of those into a way that helps tell the story. Okay. Now that's the that's kind of what the key I wanted to get to with you, um, mm. because that to me is the that's the that's the actual strong the real strong similarity um, it's between me what I was going to come up with between photography and the film. And uh, just to add to this, like I talk to I I, I do a street photography class um, mm. uh, once a month at the place I work at and one of the things I I've started to talk to the students about was the picture is not finished once you take it like that's not necessarily your finished product your finished right. product is after you take it out of the camera and you look at it and you say how do you want to express yourself and whatever you do to that image that will help you share that expression with the world then that's the finished product Sure. And I get people looking at me a little cross-eyed saying, I go, well, this is not a documentary photography class. And if we're doing documentary photography, we're going to take pictures like if we're journalists. You want to take pictures in such a way that don't change what the subject is because you're there right. not to interpret. You're there to, to show reality. And I'm guessing it's somewhat the same. I can't see how that would be any different with documentary filmmaking either, right? Yeah, you know? yeah, right, right. So – um, so I often say like, yeah, you know, bring it into Photoshop or Lightroom or whatever you need to do. Or maybe sometimes the picture is the expression. Maybe you don't have to do any fixing to it, but whatever it is, it has to express something. So you're saying the same thing with, with color timing or sorry, <laughs> color timing. Yeah. Now I'm going to say I'm, I've dated See, now myself. you're going to say it from now on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with color grading is the same thing. You're there to change or augment the colors that the filmmakers are using to to express themselves with. And, yeah, absolutely. And further the story. Sorry. Sure. A sure. long-winded way. So oh, yeah. um I don't know. Talk, give me a give me give me a quick example. I mean, I got my, I, there's a few things I want to talk about, but give me a quick example of like what you're talking about. Well, I've got a great example and I I don't know if a lot of people have seen this because a lot of people aren't nerds like I am. <laughs> or but, like me. <laughs> um, yeah, right, right. But uh, the behind-the-scenes footage of them making the Lord of the Rings movies and the Hobbit movies, specifically the Hobbit movies, the one I want to talk about, uh -huh. because um, when they made Mirkwood Forest, the production designers made this just completely psychedelic, insane-looking set mm -hmm. for Mirkwood Forest. I mean, I'm talking, like, bright purples and really? oranges. Oh, yeah, just crazy-looking colors. Like, if you saw it, I mean, you wouldn't even believe that that was in the movie anywhere. But the colorist, when that was brought to the colorist, 
all of those colors were graded down and matched to just show just the slightest hint of those colors in this real dark kind of blue-looking forest that's real, like, hypnotic and kind of crazy, making everybody go crazy in the movie, you know, because it's just an endless forest and they can't get out of it. So, but, so wait, they, they, they physically made the set very colorful yes, so that they could yes, knock I, the colors down? That's so yes. weird. Isn't it usually they the did, opposite? They did that. It is usually the opposite, but they did this for an interesting reason, too. They were filming on uh, 3D rigs made with uh, red Epic cameras. Mm-hmm. Very and expensive cam- cameras. Yeah. Very expensive cameras, but red cameras tend to eat color a little bit, just a little bit. But uh, they do tend to eat color, so they would kind of purposely oversaturate in some shots, knowing that once they got into the grading suite, they'd be grading it down. And like even the lighting, when they were filming those scenes in Mirkwood, the uh, the lights were so bright, and I mean, it looked like it was daylight, you know, where they were standing and when mm-hmm. they were acting, and it's just like, how is this even going to look good, you know? And by the time it was done being graded, it looked like this dark, misty, scary, mysterious forest, you know, with these little just hints of color that added so much to that shot. I mean, it was just like, I saw exactly where all those crazy colors went, and they're still <laughs> in there, but it's just, they're so just tiny peeking through the cracks you know no one's going to notice that when they watch that scene they're just going to be like oh that's a scary forest but if you're really looking at it the amount of detail in that forest is just insane i'm gonna and have to look at this color yeah. information yeah it's crazy so i'm gonna add uh because you're saying this is just reminding me that uh first of all i'm old enough to remember this show called perry mason which was a mm. television show uh, with raymond burr about a lawyer and that's about as far as i remember <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was black and white. It was shot in black and white. It was, I think it might. It was probably shot on film. It wasn't shot in video because this is the fifties, right? And yeah, what I had remembered even way back when is someone told me that they had put on the actors lots of like very light green makeup. Mm, yeah, you know. And yeah. I was like, why? <laughs> yeah, like what difference does it make? It's a black and white film. And they said because of the way the film would um pick up the colors uh the film would trans the black and white film would translate the colors it was sensitive in a certain way to green and so by putting green makeup on the actors their skin tones would look a certain way maybe not i wouldn't say natural because black and white's not natural but they said it would look a certain way when they filmed it and so this is you're talking about sort of the equivalent with color um, yes. to, yeah. to, to work with the technology that they're working with. Right, right. And black and white is very interesting, too, because color, the color of your actors and the color of the gels that you're using in sets have everything to do with how black and white will turn out. Like, in this day and age, you don't have to worry about it so much because you can pretty much do whatever you want to do on in Lightroom, you know, or something right. like that if, you're, right. if you've got black and white images. But with film, it was so... Oh, so different because uh, I was part of a shoot one time where the woman was getting some kind of 1940s style glamour shots Mm -hmm. uh, taken of her. And like her makeup was insane. I mean, she had this hot pink lipstick on, like really bright hot pink lipstick. The areas of highlights like on her forehead were kind of smeared with green. And uh, her hair was slicked back, you know. I mean, just looked like a clown, basically, <laughs> you know, on there. And the shots when they came out, they were so insanely beautiful. I was like, I've never seen black and white look that 
beautiful before. I mean, it just looked unbelievable. But yeah, same exact thing, you know. It's manipulating the color, even for a black and white medium like film, you know. The color still has so much to do with what your final product is. Right, right. And then, you know, the addition of shooting through filters and stuff like that, but we won't get into that. I mean, that's... Oh, a, yeah. That's yeah, a, that's, that's a, a whole a... lecture on it. <laughs> I know, I know. So, okay. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna make some equivalents here, and you're going to, you know, confirm or deny. <laughs> but <laughs> sure. I'm going to say that... Uh, you know, when we when we a lot of people are shooting photography today, they're using they're shooting raw pictures, meaning hmm. they're using they're shooting uh, their camera and they're taking the raw data off the camera and then they're doing manipulations to it. And I'm not saying everybody's doing that, but let's just say like basically you're doing that. Yeah. What's the equivalent in film to doing that? So in film, it's really interesting because if something is delivered to me in quote a raw format. Um, it's going to look different than if it's given to me in log, what's called log format, right. or log log gamma, you know, preservation. So and you're going to have to explain that to me a little, <clears throat> or to 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 everybody, because sure, I was thinking the two are the same, and but just to uh, just just go into that a little. Sure, there there there's there's some differences. They're ultimately the same. That when you look at the image, they look really uh, bland, not really much dimension, not much mm -hmm. contrast, you mm -hmm. know. Just really bland. But with log images, that's what I like to be given the most. And they log images almost look gray. Like, they look so flat. Just the colors so flat and the dimensions are so flat. But it's because the gamma levels or your midtone areas are really preserved. Anywhere that's like dark shadows, stuff like that, mm -hmm. it's preserved. And that information's still there. So when you're grading and you're adjusting that and making the shadows dark or bringing the highlights up, you're not only adding contrast, but you've still got all that detail in those shadowed areas, you know. And that's really a cool thing. Like if you're filming somebody, let's just say, hiking up a mountain and there's like a bunch of rocks and stuff like that. With the log image of that, it's going to be just super flat. And I mean, the person won't even hardly stick out from the rocks, you know, in the image. Right. But once you start grading it and tweaking it and getting the contrast set and making those shadows where the rock creases are and stuff all that texture that's on the rock is still in those shadows but it's becoming darker you know and more stretched out so it just looks real you know it just looks nicer it makes your image nicer when it's finally all said and done because if someone were to just submit me something that's already you know just like they just uh, had their camera and took a picture mm -hmm. and just gave me that raw picture that's not a log image that's an image that's what the camera was looking at, you mm -hmm, know. Mm -hmm. There's nothing been done to that to preserve any of that gamma, really. So uh, when I get that, there's not much I can do on the contrast spectrum without crushing the blacks or clipping the whites, you know. Right. Because but, it's already pretty much set up like that. So when I start doing some pretty heavy-duty adjustments, it's going to lose a lot of that detail. Right. The uh, what I, I guess what I'm saying is that <clears throat> um, a raw file from a still camera, has all the information that's pulled off of the sensor, right? So right. there's been no, no uh, processing done to it. No, the camera hasn't touched it, right? Sure, right. Is isn't that the equivalent of a log, a log video film? And when I, what I know about log videos, like exactly what you're saying is that when you look at it, it looks terrible. Mm. It looks flat and gray. And I know that you know that really gets you know uh, colorists excited. <laughs> Right, That's what you're saying, because, right. You're like, because it's it's the blank canvas. It for is a blank us, canvas, basically. Yeah. exactly. But isn't isn't for for 
this for this discussion, let's say, isn't a raw file and a log file would be kind of similar? I mean, yeah, it's definitely similar. Okay, it's, I know that yeah, there's digital similar. digital video cameras that shoot digital raw film, and I'm not I'm not getting into that so much. Yeah, yeah. but I'm just saying, as far as the like, if I get a you know, if I'm doing retouching, I haven't done this in a while, but if I'm getting retouching and someone gave me a raw file, I'd be like, hey, all right. I mean, I've got all the data here, and right. I can have a good time working on this picture. And so you're right. saying the same thing when you get a log video, a log film that's shot in log, and it's gray, and everybody's looking at it. You know, the civilians are looking at it and saying, Ugh. <laughs> "The and civilians, yeah, <laughs> yeah." Civilians are looking and going, Ugh, and you're going, "Aha! That's yeah. you know, that's beautiful." So that that's oh, yeah. guess what I'm trying to make the equivalent, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, okay, that's definitely yeah how it is. So, uh, but it may not necessarily, like for video, I don't want to get technical, but a log video file, sorry, I'm going from video to film, but I'm going to say video file. Mm -hmm. Log video file that you get may not necessarily be a raw video file. Is that true? Correct. Yeah. And this is just for the yeah. geek in me right now. Okay. Sure. Yeah. There's, there's such a thing as camera raw and there's such a thing as log and different cameras have different log profiles. Yeah. You okay. know, because we have S-log, V-log, D-log, all that type of stuff and it's all different and you you treat it differently right okay you know but ultimately it when it comes when it's presented to me like that it is a blank canvas for me and i know what to do and what to apply to it to okay. get it corrected and you know start working on it so tell me you've got this blank canvas okay and where do you start i mean uh, you you're looking at a gray thing and you're saying okay what kind of mood am i in or what, what like what is the starting point for you to color um, a video. Film, well, sorry. I always I always start with the correction, uh, the correction process, which is adjusting the uh, contrast. You know, basically your shadows and your highlights, mm -hmm. and uh, fixing any like white balance issues, which there almost always is some white balance issue okay. that someone overlooked. You know, um, so that's just getting you to an even. Yeah, just getting all the clips to okay. even and looking nice, getting shots to match each other. Like if. Uh, a problem that I have sometimes is when a client gives me a scene that they've shot and they've used three different cameras to shoot all their angles, and all of the cameras have different prof color profiles on them. So mm -hmm. the each image is totally different. None of them match, you know. So I've got to match all those first and then get them corrected and I then, see. you know, kind of move from there. I see. And, uh, but then what? I mean, like, are you, you know, and I'm, I, I, I want to tie this into photography at some, some soon point, but I want to say, like, you are going by the, um, like someone is sitting next to you and they're saying, okay, I want it to look like this. I want it to feel like this. Like what's sure. the, what's the, the that's, workflow? That's the, the interesting thing about doing color work is because they don't know the color science lingo to explain what they want to you. Mm -hmm. They're going to say things like, I don't know, this needs to just pop more. And I have to interpret that. <laughs> and go, okay, what I think they mean is they want their subject to stand out a little bit more, so I'm going to adjust the contrast a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, and stuff like that. Or if they say pop, a lot of times they, they're they meaning saturation. Mm -hmm. And then I have to kind of explain to them, you know, it's like I can't just jack the saturation up on right, this, right. you know, because right. that's going to look, look bad. And then I show them some, you know, demonstrations on their viewing monitor, be like, see, this is what it looks like if I crank the saturation to 100%. That doesn't look good. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, you know, adjust her skin tones a little bit, keep them even, and then I'll, you know, enhance the background kind of to what you want. Or they'll say things like, that needs to be a different color. 
And that's always the best one because I'm, you know. Well, that's a challenge, that's, right? Yeah. It's a challenge, yeah. 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 It's a challenge, but at the same time, it's like they could be wanting, sometimes they want me to repaint a wall, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like if this wall is in every single shot, that's going to take a long time, and they're paying for by the hour, typically, <laughs> you know, to have me sit there and roto That's okay. Then you say, oh, I could do it, you know. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, and I usually give them the truth. I'm like, I can definitely do that if you want. But I'm like, I'm going to have to go through every shot. You know, and I'm going to have to do this and it's going to take a while. You might as well, mm-hmm. you know, go get some lunch while I do this <laughs> because it'll take a long time. But uh, or they'll say, you know, this blonde needs to be a redhead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had that happen once. That's and that was interesting. that was interesting. Yeah, very interesting. <laughs> uh, I might take this time just to plug my software for just a minute. I use DaVinci Resolve mm-hmm. uh, 12 or 14.3. By far the best video software in my opinion of all time i use nothing else for anything really? that i do really? yep right. and uh, they've done so much work in making it a good nle platform as well as being a colorist platform that i mean there's there's not much it can't do really and i okay. I, I just love it so much and the fact that you can get it for free on their website is what's really amazing about it. And the paid version just has a few other features that you need if you're doing it in a working capacity. You know, but if you're just looking to get into video editing or coloring and stuff like that, you can download it for free and it does pretty much everything you need it to do. And DaVinci, they've been around for a while, haven't they? They have, yeah. actually. Uh, yeah. They had a pretty crazy history, actually, because they, they were at the forefront of color grading development, like hardwares and softwares and stuff. Uh, they started in 1984, mm-hmm. mm. and it was called DaVinci Systems, actually. And they had uh, some pretty famous popular systems uh, for color correctors back in the day. But um, a lot of them were just these giant, super bulky you know, hardware systems that had a screen on it that was meant for color grading. But they also were the innovators of tactile grading stuff, which that, that could be a whole other thing. Too, but actually having like roller balls to be your. Oh, you color mean like control interface your, that you would work mm-hmm. with? Oh. Yeah, your color control surfaces. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And, uh, that's what I use, and I mean, I'm a big fan of that. And it's, I think it's been designed that way for a reason. But like I said, that's a whole other <laughs> lecture in itself. But yeah, it's, uh, it's really awesome. So anyway, they were liquidated. They were purchased by Blackmagic Design. Um, I forget how many years ago, and they've been just doing that ever since. So free software, you know, you can't go wrong if you. You can't go wrong, yeah. especially if it's a good free software. This isn't like Windows Movie Maker. This is like some serious Hollywood stuff. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I've, I've when downloaded, I first downloaded it. I was like, I can't believe this exists. <laughs> you know. Yeah, for someone like me, I don't do this every day like you. It, it it it's complex, but it doesn't look like it's out of the realm of figuring things out. It looks like if you can. Figure out Photoshop and Lightroom and and Premiere. Sure. You could probably dive into this. It's just sure. it's just there, you have to think differently a little bit. But you do, yeah. There's a little bit of a learning curve, but mm-hmm. it's uh, it's it's definitely doable. Yeah, yeah. So let me let me sidestep again. Go back yeah. a little bit. Let's. I want to go back into the um, uh, the feel. All right, of something okay. rather than the technical yes, the stuff. Mood. The mood, right? Because yes. we're going to do the same thing in photography, right? Oh yeah. So I'm looking at uh. For, oh, well, first of all, let me just go back for a second. Okay, I, I looked at your little colorist reel that you have on your website, and I'll link everybody oh, yeah. up for that. And because uh, it's kind of cool, you can see, you know, Reed is showing very simply how one image can change into something else. And, and as photographers, we can, we can definitely understand this. But, you know, if I look at reality, right, I'm looking at my window, right, and it looks kind of log, raw, gray out 
I mean, it is raining, but <laughs> it <laughs> yeah. doesn't look very interesting, okay? No, right. You know, it looks like like if you take a raw file from a camera, or it's, I would, you know, a log file, a video file is a little bit worse than reality, but I would say right. it's closer <laughs> to reality, right, in yeah. some ways than um, maybe what I see in color colored videos or even worked Photoshop files, right? Right. So we're all sort of looking at the stuff and we're being told visually how to feel, right? By the mm. coloring and, and whatnot. Talk to me a little bit about that. Um, what Kind of what, about mood creation? You Yeah, but what is that about? Like, why are we... Hmm, I would, I'm, I'm sort of half-assed asking this question, but... <laughs> um, you know, let me go back for a second. I get questioned... Oh, I just shot a picture... Like We had a snowstorm like a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. Hmm. It was not a big snowstorm, but I got up early in the morning, right, and I went out for breakfast. And, you know, really early in the morning when it's overcast, it looks kind of blue out, right? The sun hasn't quite right. come up yet, but it's popping up, but it's still under clouds. So the overall, you know, gray, the outside is is blue, and there was snow on the ground. And a guy ran by me. Uh, this picture is up everywhere now. This guy ran by me. He was wearing a neon yellow jersey. And then there were these cars stopped on the road. And I took three shots, right? Boom, boom, boom. And when I got when I got to process them, I was looking at them like it didn't quite look on the camera like the way it felt, right? So I, you know, boosted a little bit of saturation just to get that blue up and get the the real the reds of the lights of the cars up and that guy's neon thing up because when I looked at it, I was like, wow. You know, when I saw it when I was walking in the street, it was I was blown away by it. So I posted it up online and someone, you know, um, messaged me and says, was it really that blue that morning? And, you know, the reality is it wasn't. Sure. Okay. Sure. But it felt <laughs> to me like that. And that's what I told the guy. Right. I said, and that, it felt yeah, that's a that big, color. So that's a big thing about it where you, it's up to you to decide what it looked like, you know, kind of, because the camera didn't capture it quite how you visioned it you know when you saw it when you were experiencing it so you're kind of trying to get it to be how it was how you experienced the shot as opposed to how it actually right. looked you know but the the big difference you know we got stills we're talking about but the big difference is nobody questions that stuff with film with moving images uh, at least, right 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 you're i right. mean tell me if i mean i get you know nobody's going online oh man this is i'm, I'm not making a blanket statement but you know, someone will come and question me, was it really that blue then, blah, 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 right? Whatever. But then, you know, um, you know, I want to talk about a movie like Blade Runner. Blade Runner to me was the, the, the latest Blade Runner was incredibly colored for oh, setting yeah. mood. Maybe oh, almost yeah. a little too much. Yeah. That um, was a, quite a saturated. It was quite <laughs> saturated. But nobody movie. really said, you know, notice saying, was it really that orange yeah, when right. they were shooting it, you know? Right. So right. talk to me about that with, with moving images. What? You know, is there a difference? Is not a difference? Mm. Why are we not questioning it? You know, people like me question it. Well, of course, <laughs> because I, <laughs> me I too. Know why why people are making the color choices they're making sometimes? Right. Well, let's because, talk about uh, civilians, right? You know. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so civilian uh, viewership is more. Uh, I don't know. I think they probably ex they expect when people think of a picture, they think of how they remember pictures being taken when they were uh, younger, you mm -hmm. know, because mm -hmm. I think that was their introduction to cameras. They saw their parents point the Polaroid and click it, and out comes the Polaroid picture, and that's what it looked like, you know. 
And so when they see an actual edited nice picture, they go, there's no way that that, you know, cityscape looked that intense, you know, or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think with film, everybody just kind of knows through history of watching movies that some of it is unrealistic. You know, it's just it's sometimes it's even ridiculous, you know, so they kind of just expect they don't really question what the director was doing so much as they do the what the photographer is doing. But because why? they're more expecting the hmm. movie to look like that. That's just my opinion. I'm not really. Well, sure no, that that makes sense. And that, yeah, it's yeah. a that's a that is an opinion. And but I want to dive into it a little deeper, like um, like movie movies, moving images, stories, films. You know, are are basically some. You know, it's a story that like, has a beginning, mm-hmm. middle, and end, and it takes us on an emotional journey. Hopefully, right, right. for the most part. Right. Uh, and so you were saying before that when you're working on coloring, you're working, dealing with the feelings of something. So you're, you're kind of manipulating, it's a manipulation, right? Yes. And I don't mean that in a evil way. No. Yeah. I mean like you're, you are, you are gearing the audience to, to have a certain feeling or have a certain mood. You are manipulating their emotions, you know, essentially through color. Mm-hmm. And so, like when you're doing a film, what what um, what are the choices when you're doing that? Like, how do you make that choice? Is it you know, is it the script uh, that's running it? Is it is it your? I don't know. What's the? It depends on if I'm actually like the director and writer of the movie, or if it's a client. You know, because the client has they wrote the script, they have the vision of what it's supposed to look like. They can they've watched the movie in their heads thousands of times before anyone even saw a script. Mm-hmm. You know, so they know exactly what it needs to look like. So sometimes I'll just, you know, start talking to them about it, you know, about the mood of the shot or what's going on. And I'll even ask sometime to look at the script to see, you know, what kind of read through the script. You're just read through like a little bit before the scene starts and a little bit after the scene starts to kind of see where the audience is supposed to be taken during that scene, you know. And like, for instance, you know, you have a scene where, that's supposed to be really intense and scary. And, you know, a lot of times people use real lower camera angles, mm-hmm. like composition, looking up at the action happening. And uh, a lot of red hues are used a lot of times, just hmm. historically, not always, you know. But uh, when someone's feeling real angry or mad or about to fight, you know, they use a lot of red and orange hues uh, during that stuff. Oh, well, that's interesting. I mean, that makes yeah. sense, but it's like, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, I was gonna say about that. So let me let me let me ask you a couple of questions about sure. feelings, and then you tell me like the colors that you use, and some of them are gonna be obvious, right? Sure. But I'm just thinking about the top of my head. So, you want to show a scene that is um where the temperature outside is cold. What what's the predominant color? Sure, you're gonna be in the blue spectrum. In the blues, you know, mostly for that. All right, and the opposite would be true if you're in the desert and something like that. You'd want to go for. The warmer mm-hmm. tones, right? You gotta go for the warmer tones. Okay, you were just saying angry, uh, a scene with anger or something like that, or tense would be um, maybe a little bit in the reds and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I see like that kind of stuff, and like people experiencing sadness or depression tends to kind of go more toward the blue. Okay, so so you can enhance feelings. So if you have a a scene with a person who's very sad and it's winter, you're going to be pretty much heavily on the blue. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know, and it just it depends on the story too. But okay. yeah, it's you know you're not gonna see many snow, snow shots in films, 
that are going to be on the orange side right. of things. But I don't know if you saw the Revenant. That was a great no, example I didn't. of I actually, being I'm, in the I'm, snow. No, I didn't see that. But well, I won't ruin it for you. But if you're if that that movie is blue, I mean that is one of the bluest movies okay. I've ever have ever but seen. Can I, and it's great. But yeah, let me just ask you though. But isn't that like? And I know this with photography as well. Isn't that getting kind of cliche? I mean, we all look you at know, we all look at is. you know the winter, and it's like like even my shot that I took the other day. It's like yeah, it's winter. It's you know, snow. It's dawn. It's blue. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's that. Can it be any different? It it could be different, but you're the way people associate colors with feelings is really interesting. And I've actually read a little bit of psychology. There's actually a field called color psychology. <laughs> oh really? And okay. uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I've just done a little bit of reading into that, but there. People do associate blue with cold and with winter and with with feeling kind of depressed or melancholy even, you know, mm-hmm. like all those feelings of shorter days, you know, colder days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff, all is kind of evoked through blue hues, whereas red and orange, obviously, you picture the beach and summer and, you know, people with tans and right, you know, that right. kind of stuff. And it just yeah. evokes a little bit more happier kind of thoughts and emotions. Which is ironic and weird because uh, supposedly when you're young, the uh, the if you're exposed to a lot of the red color spectrum, that can actually actually affect your psychology to be slightly more uh, what's the word? Not hmm. angry, but just leaning more toward that kind of like uh, spicy. Thing. Yeah, spicy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. exactly. Yeah, really. Oh. Uh-huh. That's but, interesting. Um, it makes me, you know, if you want to take the broader globe, you know, and thinking about Northerners being more repressed and Southerners, and I don't mean like, you, you know, United States people, but I mean people north, uh, you know, closer to the Arctic can be mm-hmm. a little more reserved, and people towards the equator can be a little more outgoing right. and spiceful. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, and when you're born, you know, you, your your eyes haven't adjusted when you're born, and you see black and white because you don't know what colors are. Mm-hmm. And as you start to see colors, the first colors you actually notice and start picking up are red and yellow. Hmm. Uh, and then the other colors fall shortly after that. Oh, I didn't know but that. But that's just, yeah, that's kind of how your eyes hmm. evolve after, from the moment you're born, you know, which is just an interesting uh, interesting point. Well, it's interesting because you're also saying that, in, in, well, in some way we're kind of hard-coded to these to these colors and feelings equations in some way. Yeah, yeah. There's just been so much that we associate with those colors throughout, like our even our history. You know, that it's uh, it's kind of just made an imprint on us culturally. I think mm-hmm. to recognize blue as a cold color and red as a warm color. You know. So if we took a, a shot of like a snowy scene and we started coloring it towards the yellow and red, it it would. We it wouldn't be bought. It wouldn't be. It a, would look. It would look interesting. That would almost become sepia tone. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Kind of. And and I, I I just don't think people. I don't know because I don't think anybody has done that. You know, taken like a really super snow scene and kind of adjusted it into the, you know, more orange yellow spectrum. Unless it's supposed to like represent Mars or something like that, where the yeah, whole sure. thing is different. Yeah. Right. Oh, this is right. so interesting. Yeah. So you, you we're all doing coloring. In some way, you know, obviously to manipulate feelings, um, how you feel about the image, how you feel about the scene, how you feel about the story. But that is kind of like you're, you're working already with a, 
in a sense a predestined kind of uh, workflow. Like, right. you know, you're in the desert. It's not necessarily going to be blue and cold. It's going to be more warmer or, or right. vice versa. Okay. Right. All right. How does that and, to, um, how does that work for you? Does that really restrict what you have to do? Or um, not, not so really? much when when I'm when I'm doing my own movies. Uh, a lot of my own personal movies and stuff that I do are really experimental and meant to be completely out there and crazy. <laughs> you know, so I always try to go for a little bit more adventurous stuff. Just more depending on what I'm feeling mm-hmm. than the mood. You know, I'm necessarily well, trying. Well, people to will see that on your reel when I link. <laughs> On the show, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, yeah, if you don't mind, I can see some put, of that. Oh, that. absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So a lot of that kind of stuff is a little bit more crazy and psychedelic, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, sometimes there there are some rules, quote unquote, that people like to use, and you can bend the rules a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you're familiar with the term color harmony, right? Right. Yeah. You know, color harmonies really make. Uh, that's a production designer job is to decide on color harmonies uh, more in just the set design and the way things are going to look in the end, you know, on the shot. But mm-hmm. they, 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 they have such a th- awesome thing to do with the way a movie looks like the best example I can think of is Wes Anderson. I mean, he's known for his color palettes that he uses, you know, and he just, he perfectly just nails these palettes into crazy. If I saw that on any other movie, I would go, this movie looks horrendous. <laughs> but for some reason, the way he does it and the mm-hmm. way he saturates his movies, they're just, they look amazing and they're just so unique to his style, you know? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, actually, I'm looking at your reel again, or your color reel. Oh, yeah. And uh, you actually do have a winter scene here, which is uh, yes. not colored blue. Yes. Uh, you're talking about the one that kind of goes purple and orange. Uh, no, it's a it's a river. There's a river. Oh, and all, basically, what you look like you've done is like you've cleaned it up. It looks like it was yes. hazy, and then you wiped away something. So you, it yes. looks like you just increased the contrast. Yeah, and, that was an actually interesting example. That was uh, that is essentially just a correction of right, that image. Right, right, right. You know, but right. it was such a. I, I put that in there because it's such a stark difference if you're looking at both images. You yeah, know, yeah. It does a wipe from the old to the new. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you can really just see how much just a simple correction just totally clears and cleans your image up. Like, it takes the haze out of your image, you know. It does. And, um, you know, as I'm looking at it, I'm thinking it still looks wintry to me. And, actually, the image itself is kind of warm tony if i was going to say it you know yeah yeah there's a lot as, of wood wood tones there's a lot in of woods yeah, yeah there's some grass and stuff like that but there's you know mm-hmm. there's snow coming down and you can see the snow on the on the branches of the trees and yet it's not colored blue so it's not hitting sure. us over the head that it's a that it's a winter scene so um in in a case like this you you would i want to say add blue but why would you want to change that like what would be the Totally depends point. on the story because Does, that yeah. w- while that's still corrected, if you notice, the snow is not leaning toward a warm tone. There are warm tones right, the in the snow image, is white. but the yeah. snow is still white yeah. because it's you know white balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and the snow still being white illustrates the cold, you know, of mm-hmm. the image and the, that mood of it being cold. So uh, it would really just depend on what was happening in the scene. You know, mm. like if there were people that were lost in the woods, I would be definitely darkening that image right. a lot and making it cold, you okay. know, to really show that loneliness and alienation and, you know, 
freezing temperature kind of thing. But if that was featured in like a nature documentary or something, just like that shot, I would probably leave it as is. Right. You know, right. I might add just a tiny touch of blue in the highlights, just like the tiniest ever, mm-hmm. you know, but I like all those wood tones that are in that image. Though, yeah. You know, and they, yeah. they just look really nice and add a little depth to that image. So. All right. This, this is this is so interesting to me because it, it, it's bringing up all these questions that I've had for a little while. Uh, and I, I've mentioned this before on this show and to uh, and other shows and stuff like that, where, um, like, at what point do, where do we stop manipulating an image? Um, do we need to stop manipulating an image? I mean, the whole idea is to express ourselves, and this is both with stills and, and moving images. Right. And are we here to, to represent reality? I mean, there's all these questions about this stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I again, I get this from... Uh, I post a lot of pictures of sunrises because I get up really early and I'll take sunrises at my window mm. and, you know, and I'll post it onto a local Facebook board and I will get the same kind of questions. Was it really that color when you woke up? And I was like, well, you know, I don't want to answer those questions. Uh, right. <laughs> because it's right. not you're, the right. It's like you're ruining the magic of right. the picture. There's the <laughs> magic. Know? There's the feeling. And like I, I, all I say to my students, like I said before, is like all I can do is my job is to tell you how I felt when I took this picture. That's it. You know? Right. You know, we're not documenting. I like, I like what you said though about this this shot of the you know, of the river. You know, if you were doing a documentary, you probably wouldn't manipulate it much further. You might add that color, I guess, as a slight hint of sure. something to sort of move you in that direction. But you're not really adjusting that too right, much. Right. You know. Now, uh, another good example in the reel that you're watching is the uh, footage of the sea turtle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. Because that one is a total night and day difference, whereas it's Where still a correction. Yeah. But it was it was enhanced to make the image look like you would expect it to look. Because right. the original image from that was taken with a GoPro under the water, and the water was kind of green and hazy, you know. And just making the water blue again, or bringing it back toward the blue again, right? Right. And just and the little orange on the turtle. I mean, everything. It just looks totally night and day difference. You right. Know? And that's an example of something that I would edit that way if it was going into a nature documentary because that's what people are expecting to see, mm-hmm. you know, when they think of a sea turtle. They want to see the blue ocean with the, you know, colorful sea turtle. Yeah. They don't, you know, they don't want to see the hazy kind of weird <laughs> blended water, you know, <laughs> dirty that, looking water. This is so interesting because, be, you know, we sort of fool ourselves. We know what our eyes see, right? Because oh, you yeah. walk out and you see the world in a certain way. But... You, like what you're talking about, like, yeah, I might have gone in that water and it might have been really kind of gray-green, but if maybe if I came back and described it to somebody, I wouldn't have necessarily described it as the way it actually was. I would describe it interpreted, you know? Right, And right. Uh, so what, you're, what we're doing when we're manipulating images is really is um, kind of like, like you said, giving something what they expect, giving someone what they expect, you know? Yes. And... Uh, this this is so this is so interesting to me. This is so interesting to me. I mean, I really want to keep going into this. What was it? Well, I can say one more thing. Oh 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 ah! This is what, don't get old. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens. It's like get something on the tip of your tongue, and I'm like, oh oh yeah, bloody heck. Um, shoot. Oh well, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at this turtle thing and thinking of, I think of something. But uh, oh oh yeah. Uh, I mean. Just for the, you know, not the elephant in the room, but we also have to remember that the cameras that we're all shooting with, they all record the world differently as well. 
Oh, yeah. So there isn't really one machine here that's recording, you know, uh, the way the world looks. And again, how does the way the world work? You know, Reed, you look at the world in one way, you might see a little bit more red. I might see a little more, more blue, you know? Sure. Uh, sure. So there is no definitive truth and color, but... But we do have these things that we can sort of agree with. Like, yes, we want the water oh, yeah. to be blue, uh, the desert to be warm, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of what you know we're all doing when we're working on these images and films is we're sort of creating, you know, like we said, what you expect to see. And right. if you don't expect to see it, it, it throws something into the mix. Like your 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 other reel with all the hyper weird. You know, weird. <laughs> All the crazy stuff. <laughs> crazy yeah. stuff. It's meant to do that. It's meant to. It's meant to be jarring. Yeah, and a little throw bit you off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Sure, but yeah, when someone's watching like a National Geographic movie, they don't want to see anything crazy or jarring. They want strictly aesthetically pleasing, you know, yeah. images of nature. And a lot of times they they go to these really fantastical places to shoot this stuff, like Iceland and stuff like that. Iceland, you can. I don't think you can take a bad picture of Icelandic <laughs> landscape. Like you just point your crappy cell phone at a mountain and it's going to look like some amazing alien landscape right, right. in America I've never seen, you know. But yeah. when they by the time they're done filming that with like 8K red cameras and then processing it and mm-hmm. you know going through all the post production when it comes out on the other end, I mean it's just so mind-boggling to look at it. You're just like I can't believe that place exists. Right. Like there's just no way that place exists. Right. right. And and to I, I think you probably would agree with me that there's nothing wrong with this manipulation. No, no, not at all. No, you know the, the it's 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 up to the artist, aka the photographer, the videographer, the editor, the director. It's up to them to decide what their art is going to look like mm-hmm. for the masses. You know, and the masses, of course, are going to interpret it differently. Um, you know, this is an interesting thing I kind of have wanted to complain about on here and haven't had a chance to okay, yet. Go ahead. But um, a lot of movies in modern times, everybody's noticed it, whether they know what to call it or not. They're using this thing that uh, a lot of people in the colorist world call the M31 LUT. M31 LUT, L-U-T. Describe LUT. What's a LUT? A LUT is a lookup table, and basically that is... Some colorists choose to use lookup tables to quickly apply looks and grades to images. Can, like they can, can I make that? Already... Is that an equivalent to like a picture profile in a still camera? Yes. I mean, if I'm yes. just being really not technical. Yes, yes. On the very basic front, that okay. is, the, is the same thing, right. basically. But with LUTs, you can get a lot more detail and edited okay. and editing into it, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, that kind of stuff. But this M31 LUT, the best example recently of it is the Mad Max movie. And uh, in f- if you ever use Final Cut as an editing software, they have a LUT built into it called Teal and Orange. Uh-huh. And that is exactly what this M31 LUT is. And it is it is completely atrocious. I hate it. Most <laughs> colorists I know hate it. It's, it's hideous, and I have no idea why all these superhero movies use it, why Mad Max uses it. It... The, the movie could Mad Max it kind of fits just barely Mad mm-hmm. Max is supposed to be just completely out there ridiculous okay. you know so it kind of fits there but every single big blockbuster movie has people that are orange in it and, and skies that are completely like turquoise blue. blue weird crazy unnatural color and I just I can't stand that every time I see that I'm like it doesn't look 
like that, <laughs> you know. But they want it to look that way because that that look is popular and people well, are but paying you talk, to go see that. Yeah, you talked before about color harmony, and I I I think what you're what these people are doing is that the natural tendency of an orange and a blue to complement each other. Sure, and sure. and like you were saying, sort of built into our DNA is the sense of warmth and cold, and and what best right. represents warmth and cold is, um, you know, oranges and you know for warmth and, and blue for cold. And orange I, and teal, you know, that's called that's called a complementary color harmony. Actually, yeah, like that's oh, the actual term for it. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, to add to that for a second, and then I, I'm gonna I think we've been there for an hour, but I uh, I want to wrap it up soon. But yeah, to add for that, I used to. Uh, when I used to work at the stock agency, I used to work at the stock agency. Uh, the agency that Getty turned into um, what used to be called Tony Stone uh, mm. way back when. And they used to produce a catalog uh, of pictures for people to go and buy their stock photography. This is pre-internet. And what wow. they used to do is they used to add a little bit of orange into the print production. So when they got the catalogs, and the catalogs were mostly filled with shots of people. The skin tones would look slightly orangey. And right. we couldn't figure out for the longest time why Tony Stone's pictures were selling so well. When we look at the catalogs, we'd say, wow, these pictures look so you know incredibly great. And somewhere along the line, we learned that they, they did something to the printing to manipulate it to turn a little bit more orange. Mm. And we were contemplating that. We were saying, why is that making such a big deal? And I think it's because people's natural desire to to be with to see skin tones, uh, whatever color tone it was, and this orange actually did well for all dark skin tones, um, uh, Caucasian skin tones. It did really well. It didn't do so well with Asian skin tones because they were already right. a little bit um, towards the orange or yellow right. uh, in in print at least because print can't really show full skin tones. Sure, but um, for the vast majority, you know, of other skin tones, it did really really well, and people would buy their pictures a lot. And uh, I think, you know, it was just this tendency of, of people looking at other pictures of people and thinking, why am I attracted to that, you know, yeah, buying right, that, you right. know? Because our, right. our, the catalog that we used to put out was very neutral, right? So the skin tones looked very probably close to reality. Right. And we sold the pictures, right, but they did something, they had something more. So anyway, uh, this is sort of a long convoluted way of saying, I think that's sort of, like you were saying before, built into us. You know, we yeah. want to see the skin. You know, we want to see sure. ourselves in the the pictures that we're looking at, and the the unknown environment, which is where all this stuff is happening, is this dark, you know, unknown cold place, and sure, where the sure. light. You know, oh, you know. Also, think of a, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking of a fire in the middle of a, you know, an environment. The fire is a little yeah. orange speck in the, in the dark that keeps us uh, right, keeps us light. So anyway, this right. is so. This is so interesting. This is such a cool field that you got into, I think. Yeah, it it is because there's there's just so much that can be illustrated with color and people don't realize when they look at a still picture or when they're in an art gallery and looking at an art piece or when they're in the theater looking at a movie, the color is giving them all sorts of psychological signals that they're not that they don't even realize that they're getting, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh that's a, it's a, it's such a cool thing to start to get deep behind the scenes of movie making and uh you know photograph taking and learning how that works and learning which you know colors affect people differently you know if they see the dark and blue and the 
one of my still images that uh, actually sell stock footage too. Oh, and, you do? Uh, yeah, cool. Yes, and sometimes uh, the uh, sometimes I'll color the image just a little bit. If it, if I have a picture of a depressed woman looking out the window, that picture is going to be a little bit more blue, mm-hmm. you know, than the happy woman in the sunlight with her cell phone or whatever, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, it makes it makes a difference. And uh, recently, actually, I, those have been only. I took some pictures like that recently, and they've only been posted for like two days, and I already had some sales from them. Oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that's cool. So, that's excellent. Yeah, it's one of those things, you know. And it was the the depressive ones that were that sold, <laughs> which I thought was kind of interesting. There, you know, people see the ones that the little oh, the girl's so sad. <laughs> you know, let's. I wonder if it's because yeah. I wonder if it's because we're in winter now, and so people want to buy yeah, pictures right. of depressed people. Hey, do you right. have a suggestion for like? a website or a book that you could think of that we could sort of talk like post so that people could get sort of started in thinking about this and this is sort of about color. Yeah. I don't know. And I just throw this at you. I know you probably had a time to think about it, but sure. like just, well, uh, the, all of the Alexis Van Herkman stuff, I mean, as a colorist, his stuff is pretty, um, Bible like <laughs> when it comes to just information. What's about his name again? Grading Alexis Van Herkman. Alexis Van Herkman. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his books are awesome. And uh, I'm actually a member of a group on Facebook called Color Grading Central. And there is a fellow by the name of Denver Riddle who ha- owns the website Color Grading Central. And he's a colorist and has done a lot of work with uh, stuff. But I really like his website and I like some of the stuff they offer. They develop really cool LUT packs, mm-hmm. like really, really nice high end ones and uh, that look really, really nice. And uh, they have some other stuff, too. And he actually has a couple of programs, and he runs specials on them occasionally. They're really expensive if you want to get oh. certified. Like, if you're really wanting to get a color grading permit, basically, is what <laughs> when you go through all this kind of stuff. But, oh, uh, gosh. Okay. Yeah, occasionally they run for they run specials, and they're, they're cheaper or, you know, something. Right. And it'll only be like a one-day thing every once in a while. But it, that's another really good website. And... Uh, all of the DaVinci Resolve groups that I've been involved with, either on Facebook or anything like that, just for web forums, everybody using DaVinci Resolve helps each other out. Mm-hmm. They all know a lot about it, especially with this newest update to DaVinci that has a Fairlight included in it, mm-hmm. which is an audio uh, oh. you know, program. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that pretty much has made DaVinci the ultimate NLE to me. But the uh, the Fairlight thing is totally new world for me i always have an audio guy that works with me that handles all the audio stuff i know nothing about the audio world uh other than playing some music i (laughs) don't know how to do any of the recording stuff but it's a really fully featured thing so a lot of people on those groups are helping people learn Uh that kind of stuff all right that's cool um yeah all right uh what are you gonna say yeah i think i think uh i think you've given a lot to think about and i want to you know maybe uh invite you again uh in the future to talk Absolutely. more about this, especially if oh, we like yeah. talk about uh, movies specifically and, and this whole thing about coloring and stuff like that. I, I like to invite everybody to remember, like, even though we talk about still photography on this show and like you can't help but be surrounded by moving images all the time. And that has to affect how you see stills and, and your world, the world around us is moving. Right. And so oh, yeah. even though we're just grabbing little frames of it, the, the basic theories of this are exactly the same. I think when you take a picture and you want to sort of convey something, you're going to really want to think of the color. Now, we're not talking about black and white now, although there is some of this that can translate to black and white certain aspects to it. We're oh, yeah. really just talking about color now. So 
but yeah, I'd like to invite everybody to like, you know, talk about this more movies, um, uh, that they've seen, uh, images, whatever that, that where the color is really uh, set apart and, and, and saying something about the image and invite people also to make sure that, you know, be aware of the color in your pictures. You know, that's, that's something that, uh, like we were saying, that Reed was saying before is that it's part of our DNA, you know? And like, I like to say, like, don't just throw on an Instagram filter because it makes you feel cool, you know, or it does oh, something. Right. It doesn't mean that you can't do it, but like maybe understand what that filter is doing to the shot. Like, what is it conveying, and what right. what um, what do you Instagram resonating filters with? are the are the the civilian equivalent of the M thirty one look, <laughs> in my opinion. Okay. That's I that's what that. it is. That's, that's great. really what it is. That's that is a good way great. to put it. it. It took you saying that for me to make that connection. That oh yeah, that's exactly what that is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you know, there are probably times when that M31 LUT can actually work and make sense. But you're right. It, yeah. it could get or anything that gets overused, we get we get tired of it and and what we do is we tend to ignore it. We tend to not so, take it seriously. Right. Right? And and Hollywood ignores it too because people are still filling the theaters, you know. If people started rejecting that color scheme and went, I'm not going to see any movies that have that as the color scheme. Hollywood would fix that stuff so fast right. like they would reshoot <laughs> that movie to resubmit it, you know. But no one's going to do that, obviously, and people are still going to go see the movie no matter what mm-hmm. it looks like, you know. But, yeah. Most people are going to see the action and the explosions right, and stuff right. like that, you know. They're not going there to focus on the color palette of the well, movie. Well, you know, and before we end, I just want to add this because you made me think about this. But this is why you said, like, the Wes Anderson films are, are they stand out to you, right? Because oh, yeah. obviously he's not using an M31 LUT. He's using right. a palette. And maybe uh, open that up to the world as well. Is like when you go see a movie – and you come out and you say, what was about that movie that is leaving me feeling X, Y, and Z? You know, right. if you go see it again, think about the color. You know, yeah. because maybe yeah, it isn't absolutely. just a Hollywood M31 LUT. It's they've done something. Like for me, right. they've the, that movie manipulated that, you into feeling a certain way. Exactly. For me, the movie that did that for me, uh, well, it's actually two movies. One was called Sorcerer, uh, mm-hmm. a William Friedkin movie from the 70s. Uh, a fantastic movie. Is it very oh, much yeah. a guy movie? <laughs> yes, very guy movie. Very guy movie. Um, and there's another movie, the and um, uh, Memento, Christopher Nolan's Memento. Oh yeah. There's yeah. something about the way the color in that film looks, and I've seen that film like half a dozen times, and it's only took it took me, you know, three viewings of it to understand. Oh, there's something in the color mm. that's doing something. So. Mm. I'm putting that out in the world for everybody who's listening to this to pay attention to that. Like, be very aware of this. This is, this is, um, and it's not a, you know, it's not a skill that you need to spend time with. Did you spend time with yourself, with the images and the and the films that you're looking at, and and look at them deeper. And sometimes you have to look at the thing twice. Like, you go to a movie, you see it once, you liked it, but you can't figure out why. Go see it again. Oh yeah. You know, and and then you you can get past sort of the story and the. The experience of being there for the first time, and then you can start looking at it deeper. So, right, yeah, all right. And uh, being in the post-production world, that's kind of your job, is because you end up looking at whatever movie you're working on so many thousand right, times right. that you're sick of it by the end of it. <laughs> but you know every little detail. Exactly, about it. <laughs> exactly. Well, hey, Reed, this was a fantastic conversation. This is yeah, absolutely. This is not what I thought was going to turn out to be, but this is exactly what I wanted it to be. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, so thanks for coming. Why don't you let everybody know where they can uh, find you? Okay, well, my website is www.palmtreeshoeproductions.com. 
Um, it is soon to be reworked, kind of. So if you land on a landing page, that's probably what's going on, is that it's under construction. Okay. Reconstruction. But uh, I'm also on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash palmtreeshoeproductions. And uh, I do a lot of stuff around there, but I also have uh, quite a few portfolios on different stock sites from like Adobe Stock, Shutterstock, Getty, you know, all that kind of stuff Very cool. as well. But yeah, so Facebook's the quickest way to get in touch with me if you're interested. But uh, the website also has a few uh, contact spots that come to me pretty quick. Fantastic. And uh, I'll make sure the, those links go up on the uh, on the show notes now that my website has been fixed. <laughs> oh, yeah. For some reason... For some reason, my website was getting sent to another IP address. I couldn't figure out why. But anyway, but it's working now, so I'll, I'll put the links up. But anyway, Reed, thanks thanks so much for coming in the last minute, and, and thanks for, so much for a really interesting conversation about color. Really, Absolutely. Awesome. I hope we can do it again. I, I intend to. I'm Thanks for being open to this. Yeah. And uh, for everybody else, you guys can find us at uh, switchtomanual.com. The site is working. Uh, I don't know why, like I said, why I was doing that, but it seems to be working. It's probably going to get reworked as well. Uh, like we were saying, I'm going to rework our site. Um, we're on, you know, uh, Facebook as well. Um, so we like Facebook uh, Hangouts. Uh, so go to there. We're on Twitter at switch the number two manual. So switch to manual. We're also on Instagram at switch to manual, the number two manual. So switch to manual. And, uh, you know, you guys want to support our website. Uh, you know, we do portfolio reviews. So you go to our website and uh, check our portfolio reviews. It's a great way to support us. Uh, you send us pictures. We send you reviews about those pictures, help to get you uh, making uh, hopefully better uh, imagery. So check us out. If you want to just throw us some chump change and some beer money, uh, we got a tip jar on both our Podbean page and our uh, website. So you can throw us some chump change as well. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to work on getting Tom back on the show, find out what his schedule is. Uh, I miss having him but uh, I like having other people on the show as well so we're having a great time that way so keep keep you know keep your ears open we'll see what happens I'll, um, I, have to call, I have to call Tom I haven't talked to him in a little while so I'll find out what he's doing but I know he's he's a busy school boy and a busy family boy so anyway and uh, yeah we made it for the middle of uh, February so we'll have another show at the end of the month and uh, thanks for tuning in and oh if you're on iTunes give us reviews and uh, recommendations all that stuff iTunes we want to get the readership tell your friends about us please please that's the you know that's the best way to tell people about us that you like the show get more subscribers you know all that kind of stuff that's a lot of fun i want to share all this information for you so anyway thanks for joining and uh, i will see you later and if tom was here you'd say adios there's an ambulance <laughs>